Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. The rest of you, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17. Roger, are the house lights all the way up? Or is, okay, there, that's a little bit better. Okay. Yeah, Luke chapter 17. Some of our most popular stories, most popular movies in the history of America and kind of in England and just kind of in the Western world have been stories about a cranky, ungrateful, miserly person who basically is upset at life They're either about to commit suicide or they're just very angry at life. And then either a ghost or an angel comes and visits them and takes them on a journey to show them what life would be like if they had never existed. And this is the plot of Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol. Ebenezer Scrooge. You know Ebenezer Scrooge? He's the the cranky guy grateful guy and then he's visited by the vote the ghost of christmas past the ghost of christmas present the ghost of christmas future take him on this journey and then at the end of the story he becomes a grateful happy blessed man it's the same plot line with jimmy stewart in it's a wonderful life it's christmas eve he's about to commit suicide on the bridge and then the angel shows up and takes him on a journey to show what would have happened if he had never lived. And so at the end, he's transformed as a grateful man who has counted his blessings. And so we cheer at the end of these stories when the ungrateful, miserly, cranky person transforms and becomes grateful, becomes hopeful, becomes happy with their lives. Now, have you ever been around someone who was ungrateful, cranky, always complaining. Perhaps someone was so bitter and resentful, it was almost unbearable to be around them. Sadly, many Christians can be the most ungrateful people around, which to me is kind of amazing. It's kind of unthinkable. Charles Spurgeon said this, An ungrateful person is lower than the animals. He's devilish. Ingratitude is essentially infernal. Ingratitude to friends is vile. To parents it is worse. To the Savior it is worst of all. Ingratitude. Now why do I bring up the issue of being grateful, ingratitude, ungrateful, counting your blessings. Why do I bring this up? Well, we're going to jump into the text this morning in Luke chapter 17, and we're going to find out this issue of being grateful and Jesus cleansing the ten lepers. So let's read together Luke chapter 17, starting in verse 11. 
On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Verse 11, on his way to Jerusalem. We have to remember the context here. Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem where he's going to face his death. He's going to die on the cross. He's, he's got a mission to go to Jerusalem. But on his way, he goes to a village. And as he enters the village, these lepers, these ten lepers, standing at a distance, begin to cry out to Jesus. Now, you may ask yourself, why were they standing at a distance? Well, here's what you need to know about leprosy during Jesus' day. Leprosy was a very physical hardship. It caused a lot of pain. It was basically a bacteria that goes to the nerve endings. It could cause boils on your skin. It could cause ringworm, itching, scalp issues. Leprosy was a terrible disease. But, but because it was a disease that made you unclean, you basically had to quarantine yourself away from culture. You had to live in a leper colony. You couldn't go to church. You couldn't go to synagogue. You couldn't really be around people. You had to stand at a pace of 50 paces, and you basically had to be ostracized from all of your community. And 50 paces was so that somebody would not accidentally come in contact with you and get leprosy. Now, most rabbis during Jesus' day believed it was harder to raise the dead than to cure somebody of leprosy. It was that bad. So you go back to Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. So these lepers would often have to stand at a distance of about 50 paces, and if somebody came close, they would have to yell out, unclean, unclean, because you did not want to get contaminated. And so here's the issue. Leprosy was not only just a physical disease, but it was also something that you had to be purified religiously from. It was a contamination that had to be purified, not just cured medically, but you had to be purified from it. And so Jesus encounters these ten lepers. And at face value, this narrative account is pretty easy to understand. But what I want us to do is I want to dive deeper into this text, and I want us to explore four teachings or four truths or four teachings that, that, that emerge from this passage of Scripture that we look at it just at face value. We, we see the narrative. We see what happens. But let's dive deeper into what's truly going on 
in this passage of Scripture. So here's the first thing that we need to know. First, we need God's mercy because of our spiritual disease of sin. We need mercy because of our spiritual disease of sin. Now, these lepers were in need of physical healing. It was painful. It was a time of suffering to have leprosy. And as Jesus comes into the village, you notice there in verse 13, they lifted up their voice saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. That's their cry of help. Have mercy. We want the suffering to end. We want to not only be physically cleansed from this debilitating leprosy, but we want to also be ceremoniously cleansed so we can go back to our normal lives. I want to go back to my family. I want to go back to society. I want to go back to being part of culture. I want my life back. So they cry out for mercy. Yet there's something deeper we need to understand. All of us are born with a spiritual and moral disease that contaminates our soul and makes us spiritually diseased and depraved and sinful. It makes us uncore or it makes us sinful to the core of our beings. All of us are born spiritually diseased with sin. It's something that every single one of us has. Psalm 51.5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. The moment that you're born, you are born under the wages of sin and death. Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 20, Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. We're infected with sin. Romans 3, 10 through 12, as it is written, no one is righteous, not even one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they become worthless. No one does good, not even one. We're all sinful, universally. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world. Following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I could go on and on with verse after verse that tells us of the predicament that every single one of us is born with. We are born guilty. We are born sinful. We are born with the disease called sin that infects us to the core of our being. We are hopeless. We are helpless. And we are hellbound. And what every single one of us needs is mercy. We need God's mercy to overcome our sin and guilt. Just as these men cried out and said, Lord Jesus, have mercy upon me, every single one of us needs to cry out, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner in need of salvation. But here's the sad thing. Most people don't think that they're that guilty. Most people don't have an overwhelming sense of this guilt and this sin. They don't see the need for mercy. They think they are okay. Everything's fine. It's not that bad. 
It's like what Jesus tells the church in Laodicea in Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. He says to the church, For you say, I'm rich, I've prospered, I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. There's nothing wrong with me. Everything's good. I'm fine with Jesus. And the Bible says, no. Every single person is born with this spiritual disease called sin that contaminates us from head to toe and makes us unclean spiritually. And our greatest need is mercy upon mercy. And so, like these lepers that cried out, Lord, have mercy on us, that's what we should all cry out to Jesus. Lord Jesus, have mercy on me, a sinner, a wretch. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless. I need your mercy. Russell read this earlier during our time of confession, but Habakkuk 3, verse 2, O Lord, in wrath, remember mercy. In wrath, remember mercy. In other words, we deserve wrath because of our sin, but God has chosen to give us mercy. Would we never get over the fact that Jesus Christ has shown us mercy? He showered us with mercy upon mercy. So that's the first thing, that we have a spiritual disease called sin that contaminates us, and we need mercy. Here's the second thing we see in this passage of Scripture. Second, many only want the blessings Jesus gives, but not Jesus himself. Many want the blessings that Jesus gives, but they don't want Jesus himself. Now let me explain this. It's interesting how Jesus heals these lepers. Do you notice? Jesus does not go over and touch them. What does he do? He says, go present yourself to the priests. Now, why does Jesus tell them to go present themselves to the priests? Well, according to the Old Testament, if someone was cleansed of leprosy, they had to go present themselves to the priest. The priest was kind of like the health inspector to make sure it was true, that it was legitimate. You go back to Leviticus chapter 14, 1 and 2. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, This shall be the law of the leprous person for the day of his cleansing. He shall be brought to the priest. So Jesus is just telling them, go present yourself to the priest. And notice verse 14. Did you catch it? When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. And as they went, they were cleansed. They were not cleansed before they left. They started walking off. And as they're walking off to the priest, every single one of them began to notice, wait a minute. In an instant, we are cured of our leprosy. And here's what happened. Nine lepers just kept walking with joy and amazement to show themselves to the priests. It's awesome. I got healed. This is wonderful. They just kept going to show themselves to the priest. They were like the seed that fell upon the rocky soil in the parable of the soils. You remember the parable of the soils? There's four soils. Luke chapter 8, verse 13 The ones on the rock are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but they have no root. They believe for a while, and in a time of testing, they fall away. You see, these nine men that were healed received the word of healing with joy. I mean, they're walking along, they believe Jesus, they get healed, and they just keep walking and presenting themselves to the priests. They never return to thank Jesus. 
They never returned to get what they truly needed. These men did not just need physical cleansing. They needed spiritual cleansing. And they did not return to give thanks. They were excited for a time. They wanted the gifts that Jesus gives, but not Jesus himself. They wanted the blessings of being healed, but not the blessing of having Jesus himself. Sadly, many people have the same attitude today. I want what Jesus can give me, but I really don't want Jesus. So when I'm in dire straits and things are going bad, I'll call out to Jesus. I'll pray, Jesus, bail me out. But, but the rest of the time, I never read his word. I never attend church. I never have a heart towards the Lord. But when I'm in desperate trouble, I'm going to cry out to Jesus. Jesus, please help me. And if he does help you, and he does answer your prayer, what do you do? You go on your merry way, and you continue back with life, and you never praise him or thank him. In other words, to you, Jesus is like a cosmic vending machine. I go up to Jesus, I push the button of what I want, and He's automatically going to give it to me. He gives me what I want, I take it, and I walk on. But I don't really want Jesus. I want what Jesus can give me. But I don't really want Jesus. You see, these nine lepers had been miraculously healed. I mean, this is an amazing demonstration of Christ's power. He healed them without touching them. He healed them with his word. They're healed as they're walking away from him, just in the power of Christ's words. And here's the point. What did these nine lepers, or these ten lepers, cry out for? What did they cry out for? Lord, give us mercy. And what did they receive? They got mercy. They got healing. They got the blessing of healing. They got to go back to life as normal. They got to reunite with their families. They got the blessing of being back in society. But what they didn't get was the most important thing. What they didn't get was they didn't get Christ himself. They got the blessing of being healed, but not Jesus. They went on their merry way. Philippians 3.8, Paul says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. These nine were healed of their leprosy, but sadly they did not gain Christ. David Gooding wrote this. He said, all God's gifts are meant to lead us to Jesus, who is his supreme gift to men. It is strange behavior to take those gifts and then to ignore him. Do you want what Jesus can give you, but not Jesus himself? Do you want the blessings and gifts that Jesus can give you, but you don't want Jesus himself? These nine lepers got the mercy, they got the healing, they got the blessing, but they went on their merry way. They didn't get Christ. They got the benefits of Christ, they got the gifts of Christ, but they did not return to praise Jesus. Let's explore the third truth we see in this passage of Scripture. Number three 
a lack of thankfulness shows we truly don't understand the gospel of grace. A lack of thankfulness or ingratitude shows that we, really, we truly don't understand the gospel of grace. These lepers probably were thankful that they were healed. They went to the priest, but they did not come back and bow at the feet of Jesus. Here's what's interesting. In an instant, these men's skin was changed, but their hearts were not. Their hearts hadn't changed. Their skin changed, but their hearts hadn't changed. They didn't see their need for spiritual cleansing. They didn't see their need to have Christ as their Savior. They went on their merry way, never returning to Jesus for grace. Now, how does the Bible describe a lack of gratitude? Thanklessness. Probably the best place to go is Romans chapter 1. In Romans 1, 18-21, Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For His invisible attributes, namely His eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they're, not with, so they're without excuse. And here's the kicker, verse 21. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. You know, the Bible lists a lot of sins. There are a lot of sins the Bible lists, but have you ever thought about ingratitude or a lack of thankfulness being a big sin to God? I mean, really, at the, at the root, under a lot of big sins, if you get down to the root, really, it's a, it's a lack of gratitude. It's being unthankful for what God has done. And Paul here is saying, listen, sinners are suppressing the truth or holding down the truth of God because they, they see the creation and they see God bless them with rain and God bless them with the job and God bless them with the family and, and God shower blessings upon them and they see these blessings and, and they must know that they're coming from God, but instead of glorifying God and praising God, they shut God out and they suppress that truth and they walk away and say, no thanks, God. This didn't come from you. They're un." thankful this is a sign of living in the end times second timothy 3 1 through 2 understand this that in the last days people ask them to stop real quick people always ask me are we living in the last days and here's my answer we're one day closer than we were yesterday jesus is coming back soon and this describes what we're living in Understand this, in the last days there will come times of difficulty. People will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, ungrateful, unholy. You know, our culture is marked by a lack of gratitude. We can expect that from people that don't know Jesus, to be ungrateful, to, to lack thankfulness. We see this in, 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 in unbelievers, and we kind of expect that. But what's really scary is when you see this among believers. Those who profess the name of Christ, 
how should we think about an ungrateful Christian? If you're a Christian and you're constantly ungrateful, you're constantly cranky and ungrateful and and you just have a lack of thankfulness, it means you don't really understand the gospel of grace. So how does this one leper respond to Christ's mercy? One guy comes back. What does he do? Verse 15. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. Okay, this is exuberant praise. He's praising God with a loud voice. This is vocal praise. He's overwhelmed with joy. And then he falls at Jesus' feet. This is submission to the Lordship of Christ. He falls at Jesus' feet. And notice what it says there. And he gave thanks. He gave thanks. There's an intensity, there's a thankfulness, there's a humility. He comes back with so much joy and just flings himself at Jesus' feet and says, thank you, thank you. I can't express enough to you, Jesus. Thank you. And notice what Jesus says about him. This little side note. Now, he was a Samaritan. At the end of verse 16, he was a Samaritan. He's a foreigner. He's not Jewish. He's an outsider. He's a leper. Ethnically, he's an outsider. Ceremoniously, he's an outsider. Physically, he's an outsider. But now he's been healed. Now he's been changed. Now, we really don't know this about the other nine, so we have to speculate. But a lot of scholars believe it. It doesn't explicitly say it in the text, so this is a conjecture. But but a lot of scholars believe that the other nine men were probably Jewish who understood what it meant to praise God, what it meant to follow God, what it meant to understand a reverence to their Messiah. And so the Jewish men go on their merry way, but the one man that doesn't know anything about this, really the Samaritan, he comes back and praises Jesus. We really don't know that. It's more of a conjecture. But here's the point. He can't contain himself because he's been radically changed by grace. He understands grace. He understands mercy. He comes to Jesus and he flings himself at his feet and says, Jesus, thank you. He understands that his need was mercy. And Jesus gave him more than just mercy. Jesus healed him physically from leprosy. But Jesus also cleansed him from his sin and guilt. He needed salvation by grace. He needed to be both cleansed spiritually, morally, and physically. And so as sinners saved by grace, as those who have been shown mercy by Jesus, we should be the most thankful people alive, the most grateful people. It's an oxymoron to be a thankless Christian. It's a strange thing to be an ungrateful believer. What does the Bible say about giving thanks? Now, I was doing Bible study this week, and I probably could have listed about 30 scriptures. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to give you one, two, three, four, six, okay? And you don't have to write these down because the sermon manuscript's out there if you want to get it afterwards, or you can just listen. Psalm 86, 12. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart. I will glorify your name forever. I give thanks with my whole heart. I'm a thankful Christian. Psalm 118, 21, I thank you that it, you've answered me and you've become my salvation. Thank you for my salvation. 2 Corinthians, 
I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians 1, 4. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. Thank you for grace in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 9, 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift, this indescribable, inexpressible gift that comes in Jesus. Colossians 3, 17. Whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. And then 1 Thessalonians 5.18, Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Don't you wish Paul would have said, Give thanks only when things are going well. What does he say? Give thanks in all circumstances. When things are going bad, when things are going good, give thanks. Now, what's the opposite of thankfulness? What's the opposite of thankfulness? Well, it's ingratitude, but really, what is ingratitude? It's bitterness. It's resentfulness. It's a lack of joy. Proverbs 14.10 says this, The heart knows its own bitterness, and no stranger shares its joy. When you begin to become ungrateful, you begin to become a bitter person. It begins to to form a root deep inside you where it's called a root of bitterness. As a matter of fact, the writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 12, 15 says this, See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness spring up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. If you are a Christian and you continue to live a life of ungratefulness and gratitude, it will eventually lead to bitterness and resentfulness. And that root of bitterness will begin to produce weeds in your life. And those weeds will overcome not only your life, but they will spread to everybody around you. And pretty soon, you will just be no fun to be around, and you'll be infecting everybody else. It starts with that root of bitterness. So as those saved by grace, we should be the most grateful people. J.C. Ryle said this, It is the person who daily feels his debt to grace and daily remembers in reality that he deserves nothing but hell. This is the person who will be daily blessing and praising God. He says this, Thankfulness is the flower which will never bloom except in the deep root of humility. You want that flower of thankfulness to bloom in your life? It needs to be a deep root of humility, not bitterness. It's a deep root of thankfulness, joyfulness, gratitude. Why? Because you daily remember, I've been shown grace. And because of that, I'm going to be a grateful person because what I really deserve is wrath. Here's the fourth truth we see in this passage of Scripture. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Now, you don't get this in your English translations, but some of your translations may have a little note there. Um, It's a play on words in the Greek text, but look at verse 19. He said to him, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. Literally, your faith has saved you. You've been saved by your 
trusting in Christ alone. So Jesus is saying, not only have you been physically healed of your leprosy, but you have been saved by grace through faith. By you coming back and, and bowing before me, you are showing that you're trusting me for salvation. Not just for, for physical healing, but for salvation. Now, Jesus said this to the sinful woman back in Luke chapter 7 who poured the anointment, or poured the perfume out on Jesus' feet. He said, your faith has saved you. He said this to the woman that had the issue of blood for 12 years. He said the same thing. Your faith has saved you. The leper who returned was saved by grace alone. The other nine received physical healing, but they were not saved spiritually. They went along their merry way and had physical healing, but this one leper who came back, his sins were forgiven. He was reconciled to the Heavenly Father through Jesus. He was no longer alienated from Christ because of his sin. He was cleansed morally and spiritually of his depravity. He was saved by faith alone. You see, salvation doesn't come by any ritual. Sometimes we think that, well, if I get baptized, that means I'm saved. Or if I walked forward at an altar call, that means I got saved. Or I raised my hand at a crusade meeting, I got saved. Or I attended a membership class, I got saved. Or I went to confirmation, I got saved. No, salvation comes by trusting in Jesus alone. Salvation doesn't come by any works that you can do, any obedience. Some people think, well, if I go to church, I can be saved. If I give money to charity, I can be saved. If I try to obey the Ten Commandments, I'll be saved. If I, if I follow the golden rule, I'll be saved. No, it's by trusting in Christ alone. Well, maybe I can be saved if I'm spiritual, if I'm sincere, and I try to be a good person. I try to live by my principles. I, I try to be good. No. We are in desperate need of mercy because of our sin and the only way you are saved is by confessing that need and trusting in Jesus Christ alone and receiving that salvation as a free gift of grace. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. Some of you may have heard of the Heidelberg Catechism. Back during the Protestant Reformation, it was one of the big catechisms that was used to help basically children and adults learn the the faith. And question two in the Heidelberg Catechism, I think, beautifully sums up this entire passage of Scripture. So remember what a catechism. A catechism is you ask the question, and there's an answer. So question and answer. So what's the question? So this is question number two in the Heidelberg Catechism. Catechism. What do you need to know in order to live and die in the joy of this comfort of salvation in Christ? So what do you need to know to truly understand salvation in Christ? Okay, what do you need to know? Here's the answer. It's got three parts, the catechism. First, how great my sin and misery are. Second, how I'm delivered from all my sins and misery. And third, I am to be thankful to God for such deliverance. The catechism says, number one, you need to understand that you are in desperate need of salvation. You need mercy because you're guilty. Number two, you've received salvation by grace alone through Jesus. Number three, okay, now you live a life of gratitude. You you live a life of gratitude. Charles Spurgeon, 
once shared a woman, or once shared the gospel with a very talkative woman. He shared a woman. No, he shared the gospel with a woman. He was a one-man woman married to the same woman his entire life. I'm not going to blaspheme Charles Spurgeon from this pulpit, okay? One time, Charles Spurgeon was talking with a woman, sharing the gospel with a woman, and she was very talkative. So talkative that even Spurgeon couldn't get a word in edgewise. And so she just kept talking, 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 talking. And then finally Spurgeon shared with her the gospel. And she stopped and she listened. And she heard the gospel for the very first time, heard about mercy. And and then she just bubbled with excitement. And this is what she said. She said, oh, Mr. Spurgeon, if Christ saves me, he'll never hear the end of it. What a beautiful thing. What a beautiful thing. She would never stop letting Jesus know how much she saved him. If Jesus saves me, he's never going to hear the end of it. I'm going to let him know the rest of my life. I'm going to live the rest of my life talking, 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 and telling Jesus how much he has saved me. He's never going to hear the end of it. It's a beautiful image. That's the life we should live. 1 John 4.19 says this, We love because he first loved us. Why do we have gratitude? Why do we love? Why do we serve? It's not because anything produced in us. It's because he first loved us. You see, when you think about the entirety of the Christian life, and really, if you can kind of distill this passage of Scripture down, it it starts with three letters, or it starts with the letter G. Three words that start with the letter G. This is kind of the way the Protestant reformers and the Heidelberg Catechism and kind of, you know, evangelicals over the past 500 years have thought about things. Guilt, grace, gratitude. Guilt, grace, gratitude. You start with guilt. I'm guilty before a holy God. I need mercy. I have a spiritual disease of sin. I am hell-bound. I am hopeless. I am guilty in need of grace. And so number two is grace. Jesus saves us by grace alone as a free gift. He showers us with mercy. He saves us through his death, burial, and resurrection. He has shown us grace upon grace. Okay, so we were guilty. We've been shown grace. And number three, it's gratitude. Okay, you live the rest of your life grateful for what Jesus has done. In other words, the rest of your life is one big thank you to Jesus for showing you grace. It's a life of gratitude. You're a thankful people. You never stop thanking Jesus for saving you. So it would be wonderful if we would all be like this one leper. We we would all come to the feet of Jesus and we would just bow at the feet of Jesus and, and just with a loud voice we would cry out to our Savior, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. I was guilty and you showed me grace. I was desperate, and you showed me mercy. I was hellbound, and you showed me compassion. I was lost, but now I'm found. Thank you. I didn't deserve it. I can't earn it. You weren't obligated to give it, but you did. And never in a million years could I pay you back. And so the only thing I'm going to do is I'm going to be like that lady that talked to Spurgeon. Jesus, I'm never going to let you get know the end of it. You're never going to hear me shut up. I'm going to keep talking. And my entire life is going to be thank you, thank you, thank you. A life of gratitude. So may we all be like the leper. 
Let's daily fall at the feet of Jesus. And every day, let our lives be one big, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for saving me. He alone deserves all the praise, all the glory. We say, Jesus, thank you for mercy. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. My prayer is that all of us in this room would truly understand our guilt before a holy God. We would not brush that off. We would not suppress it, but we would just admit in our heart of hearts, we deserve nothing but wrath. We deserve nothing but condemnation because of our sin. Help us to realize that, but then, Lord, help us to receive that beautiful news of grace. Help us to understand that you save sinners by grace alone through faith alone and it's not by our works but it's simply by trusting in you and crying out for that mercy that we need and jesus as you've saved us help us to live a life of gratitude help us to be a thankful people help us to do all things with thanksgiving to give thanks in all circumstances to fall at your feet daily and to praise you, Jesus, for saving us. Lord, help us to examine our hearts this morning because there may be some ingratitude in our hearts. Lord, maybe there's some bitterness in our hearts. Maybe there's some resentment in our hearts. Maybe we're thinking about all the things we don't have or all the things somebody else has or all the ways that things are going bad and we, and we haven't stopped and counted our blessings and we just haven't stopped and said, Lord Jesus, thank you. I deserve nothing, but you've given me a bunch Thank you. So Lord, help us to evaluate our hearts this morning and just be a thankful people. Help us to never get over the fact that you've saved us. Let our lives be one big thank you, glorifying you, praising you, just like this leper did that returned. Lord, help us not be like the nine that walk away. We got our blessing, we got our, our cleansing, and, and life's back to normal, and we're going to go on our merry way. Lord, help us to be like the one that returns and falls at your feet and praises you and glorifies you. Holy Spirit, help us to be a thankful people. Put that joy, put that thanksgiving deep in our hearts, Lord, especially when we can't produce it ourselves. We know we can't produce it ourselves. It has to come from you. So, Holy Spirit, would you do that work of grace deep in our hearts? We thank you, Jesus, and we just want to say it. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We love you. We honor you. We praise you. It's in your name that we ask these things, Lord. Amen.